Well, good morning. My name is Adam Young. I'm the lead pastor here at Element Church, and we're excited that you're uh, here with us. Merry Christmas, um, and I hope you're having a great weekend. I hope for many of you, uh, it's a four-day weekend. I know uh, a lot of people sort of planned uh, this weekend around that way to maybe use one vacation day. So um, whatever your work situation looks like, whatever your vacation situation looks like, uh, I hope you get some good time to rest and spend time with family. Um, Wanna wanna welcome you this morning. Uh, excited to have the kids in here with us uh, today. Um, I think probably most of you grabbed a coloring sheet, some crayons, um, things like that to uh, to color with. Nick, you're still you're too old, so uh, you have to pay attention. Uh, actually, both of my kids, both of my older kids, uh, over the course of yesterday and today, asked if. Like they were like, so we're going to big church. I'm like, yeah, because that's what we call it in our house is big church, and uh, and and they saw that like we were putting these activity sheets together, and they were like, do we have to pay attention? I'm like, yes. Um, so, um, but uh, we're we're excited to have them in here with us. So, uh, welcome. We are in week four of a series that we have entitled "What If." Uh, you know, there's a lot of people in our world uh, that, that make the claim that our world would be far better off if there weren't religions, if there, especially if there weren't organized religions. Um, and, and not too long ago, I had been uh, reading some, some work by a sociologist uh, by the name of Rodney Stark, uh, who has devoted his professional life to studying the historical and the sociological influences um, on Christianity and the way in which Christianity has influenced our world, and um, was just looking from uh, just a very third, uh, like uh, disinterested, not invested point of view. Somebody who, in one of his original uh, writings, uh, said that he was quote personally incapable of uh, religious faith, and so uh, somebody who was just studying it as an academic, um, but through that study of studying the historical and sociological impact Christianity has had on our world, uh, actually came to personal faith uh, in Jesus. And so it kind of got me on this question, um, reading some of his uh, earlier and later works of asking the question, what if? Uh, specifically, what if Christianity weren't around? What, what if Christianity hadn't exerted its influence on our world, what would our world look like? And so um, in the month of December, we've been asking this question, what if? What if Jesus had never been born? Uh, how would things look different for us? And we've spent uh, the early part or the majority part of uh, this series looking at it from a theological perspective, um, looking at the influence and the way in which Jesus has transformed how we understand God, how we relate to God. And then um, we're going to switch actually next Sunday, and we're actually going to take a historical and sociological look at how Christianity has changed the course of human history. And so what we've been doing as we've been looking at the theological aspects of how Jesus has come to transform our world and our faith and the way in which humanity relates to God is by looking at the names and titles of Jesus. What we call him often reveals what we believe about him and how we relate to him. So we've been just systematically each week looking at a different name or title um, that we often give or ascribe or that the Bible gives to Jesus uh, to take a look at what do we mean when we say these things and how does that impact us personally. Week one, we looked at the title Christ. What does that mean? Where does it come from? Why do we call Jesus that? Uh, the next week, we looked at Jesus' given birth name, Jesus. Last week, we looked at probably Jesus' favorite self 
description or title, which was Son of Man. If you're familiar with reading through the Gospels, you notice that Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man a lot. And so we talked about that last week. And then today we're going to talk about one that we much more traditionally associate uh, with Christmas and one that we just sang about. And so I'm going to encourage you and invite you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Now, if you brought a Bible, that's great. If you want to use one of ours, uh, you're welcome to do that. What most of us are probably going to do is open up the Bible app. Uh, When you open up the Bible app, if you'll click menu and live events, your phone knows you're at Element Church, and Element Church will be the first thing that pops up. Just click Element Church, and then all the scriptures we're going to cover today are already laid out for you in in order, uh, as well as some of the announcements we're going to make at the end of the service today. Uh, All the details on those announcements are already in the Bible app for you. And so let's look together at Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to pick it up in verse 18. And this is how Matthew begins to tell us about the birth story of Jesus. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce, divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. Um, so Christmas is a great time for stories, right? Um, you know, Elaine and I, we are both originally from Oklahoma, and so we don't have any family here in Colorado. So it's generally just her and I and our kids. But um, if you have extended family around, I know growing up when we would go to, you know, you had to bounce from every, you know, everyone's different house you know, over the course, like three days. When you're a kid, it's not fun at all, but it's necessary, right? But, but when, when everybody in the family gets together, you start telling stories. And, um, to, to give you the background to why this is significant and to make, to connect some dots that you and I probably would not naturally connect. Uh, I'm going to tell you a story. Um, and this story comes out of Uh, several different portions of the Old Testament, the part of your Bible that was written before Jesus. Uh, Many of you are familiar, no matter how much involvement you have in church, how familiar you are with the Bible, most of us are at least familiar with stories about King David in the Old Testament, the same David who fought Goliath and things like that. David uh, ruled as king over Israel in the 11th century B.C., In the 11th century BC, he sat on the throne as king over Israel, um, which was, uh, especially under his leadership, quickly becoming one of the more or most powerful and influential nations in the ancient Near East at the time. Uh, David had many sons. One of those sons was named Solomon. And when David died, Solomon took the throne. It was actually Solomon in the Old Testament who built the temple. And, uh, and, and so as you 
hear references to the temple um, when those kind of uh, references are made in the Bible. It was Solomon who built the original, established, permanent uh, temple. And after Solomon passed, uh, he had one son uh, who was supposed to succeed him and sit on the throne. But not everyone in Israel liked the idea of Solomon's son taking over as king. Uh, Things continued to get more and more and more dysfunctional within the nation. Um, From the time of David, through his reign, and then into Solomon's reign, and then into his son's reign, uh, things begin to just continue to get more and more and more dysfunctional. And so within the nation of Israel, you have what we often refer to as 12 tribes. There are 12 tribes, uh, 12 groups within Israel, and 10 of these groups decided, we don't want Solomon's son to be our king. And they rebelled. And so in the 10th century B.C., what was once a great, united, powerful kingdom whose whole identity was supposed to be surrounding honoring God and passing on the blessings that he poured out on them onto other people. As God blessed them, they were supposed to be blessing the nations. To All of a sudden, we see the kingdom divided. And all of a sudden, you have two separate kingdoms with two separate kings. In the south, you have two tribes, a pretty small kingdom, uh, that we refer to as Judah. And in the north, you have ten kingdoms that we refer to as Israel. And this is the state uh, of, the, of conditions as we pick up uh, some verses that we're going to read in a book in the Old Testament called Isaiah. And in the 9th century B.C., things are getting very, very dark. This nation that was supposed to be a beacon of light to the world, this nation that was supposed to be representing God and his character and his love and his mercy and his grace and his justice and his righteousness to the world, all they could do was fight against each other. And this very tiny kingdom in the south, Judah, that only was made up of really two tribes, uh, had a king named Ahaz, And he was rather scared because his brothers in the north, the northern kingdom, was partnering with another nation called Syria, and they were threatening to attack and completely destroy the southern kingdom. And so this king, Ahaz, was scared. He thought he was about to lose everything. The temple that Solomon had built was within his kingdom, and he was desperate to protect it. The capital city, Jerusalem, was within his kingdom, and he was desperate to protect it. And so this prophet comes along one day, this prophet named Isaiah, and begins to try to coach Ahaz um, in, in living the right kind of life and being the right kind of king so that he could honor God uh, and that God would, in turn, bless him. Now, Ahaz had some problems and and wasn't the greatest king. But at one point, he was actually considering partnering with another nation, another empire called the Assyrians. If you know anything about the history of the ancient Near East, the Assyrians are a brutal people. I mean, by all accounts, especially from modern standards, but even ancient standards, 
were barbaric in how they handled and how they dealt with other people. And he was actually considering creating a partnership with them just to fight against his own brothers in the north. And Isaiah, the prophet of God, shows up one day and says, don't do it. Don't do it. Do not tie your hands to those people. God's going to protect you. And then in Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah tells King Ahaz, God says this, ask for any sign you want, and God will give it to you to show that he'll be faithful to you, that he will protect his people. And because Ahaz had some personal and spiritual problems, he refused to follow the instructions. And so God shows up and ends up saying, fine, if you won't ask for a sign, I'll give you one anyways. And now we're going to pick up what God says in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. You're welcome to turn there. It'll be on the screen. Or if you're in the Bible app, you're already there. And Isaiah, the prophet, speaking for God, says this to King Ahaz. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Remember, Ahaz refused to ask for a sign like God told him to. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. I want you to think about this for a minute. Isaiah shows up to King Ahaz and says... Ask for a sign. God wants to give you a sign. Ahaz refuses. So he he says, okay, God's going to give you a sign whether you ask for one or not. And here's your sign. Here's your sign that God is faithful and keeps his promise. Because remember, God had made a promise to these people hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before. That he would make them a great nation. That their descendants would outnumber the stars in the sky that he would give them their own land to possess, and that he would bless them in order for them to be a blessing to all the other nations of the world. And Isaiah shows up and said, God has a sign to let you know that he's the kind of God who keeps his promises. And here's your sign. A virgin shall bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, what we often refer to, Isaiah chapter 7, all the way through Isaiah chapter 12, is we often refer to it as the book of Emmanuel. Because for the next five chapters, Isaiah is going to begin to describe what's about to take place in an effort to show that God is sovereign and in control and to let everyone know who God really is and what he's really capable of. Both he's capable of punishing those who... Uh, refuse to follow him and capable of blessing those who honor him and capable of keeping his promises irregardless of whether we follow him or not. And so the next five chapters begin to describe what life is going to look like. Now, here's what's interesting. The Hebrew word that is translated there, virgin, Uh, can mean a number of things. It can mean a literal virgin. It can mean just a young woman or a maiden or things like that. And so um, there there becomes a lot of debate about what Isaiah meant when he said this, uh, about, about exactly how it is that we're supposed to understand it. And what happens is we get two different pictures of what God is promising over the next five chapters. 
It begins with God promising that a son is coming to bring some relief right now. In the ninth century BC, that, that a son is coming who's going to do great things to protect his people, but that there's another son coming as well. And even the ancient Hebrews debated about how to understand this word. What, what exactly should we make of this word? Is it just a young woman? Is it a maiden? How do we understand exactly who this woman and this son is? And as you look there in Isaiah, there's two different trajectories that this son takes. The first trajectory is that somebody's going to step up uh, to keep Jerusalem from being destroyed. But in the end, because of Ahaz and, and the nation's disobedience, things are going to go bad. The picture does not look bright in chapter 7, 8, and 9. But in 9, things take a different turn. All of a sudden, in chapter 9, we get this picture that something different is coming. Something's going to change. And it was so unique and distinct that it led people to believe that, you know what? The son, the son that God promised, this, this sign that God was going to be faithful to his promises, the, the promise that he made in the ninth century B.C. to King Ahaz has to be something bigger. It can't just be about a regular human warrior who's going to come and fight against Israel and Syria or the Assyrian army. So much so that it led the Greeks in the 4th century B.C. when they created what ended up becoming the most common and popular form of the Old Testament, something that we call, in a modern sense, we call the Septuagint. It's just a Greek translation of the Old Testament. They used, when they translated that Hebrew word, the word in Greek, virgin, which has no other meaning. So even in the 4th century, they understood there's something different about this son that doesn't, can't be understood in just normal human terms. I'm going to share one passage with you out of Isaiah 9 that starts to show you that this isn't any normal, ordinary human who's coming to fulfill God's promise, who's going to show that God keeps his promise. It's going to show that God continues to save his people. So Isaiah chapter 9. Starting in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the midday of uh, as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment ro- rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. And then this is the part I want to get to. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of, the, of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. 
The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And this is what led people to start thinking, this is a different kind of son. This is not an ordinary human son who's just coming to fight a human battle. Notice these titles that are giving, given to this promised son. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What happened is people began waiting for this Emmanuel, which means God with us. They were waiting. When is the promised son coming to deliver us? When is the promised son coming to show us that God cares about his people? When is the promised son coming to show that God will save his people as destruction threatens us? And then the angel shows up to Mary, later to Joseph, and says, a baby is going to be born. The virgin is going to give birth to a baby. And you're going to name him Emmanuel. What we celebrate at Christmas is God keeping his promise. What we celebrate at Christmas is that God steps into human history to deliver us from threats when we couldn't protect or deliver ourselves. It represents that God has stepped in to join in the fight with us, to protect us. It represents that God keeps his promise to bless his people so that we can be a blessing to others. Just as Roselle was talking about this morning when he was doing his welcome, that uh, you and I have so many advantages and privileges. And no matter where you're coming from this morning, that as God has blessed us this season, we're called to bless others, to, to share that love with others around us. It was a promise God made to his people 3,000 years ago, more than 3,000 years ago, and one that still lives true today, that he blesses his people so that they can be a blessing. We just sang a song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. So many times we sing these Christmas songs without actually understanding where they come from and what they're about. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is a cry. God, come and keep your promise. Come and deliver us. And it comes right from Isaiah 7, 14. The Lord, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. In verse 2, O come, O come, rod of Jesse. Isaiah 11, 1 says this, Therefore there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was David, King David's father. So it was from the throne of David. And a branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Verse 3 in that song we sing, O come, O come, come thou day spring. Isaiah 9-2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Jesus was that light to help us see. Verse four, O come king, key of David. Isaiah twenty two twenty two, And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. 
and he shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. That this son was going to come and sit on a new kind of throne, one even far greater than David. And then the final verse, O come, O come, desire of nations. Isaiah eleven twelve. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. We celebrate God keeping his promise. We celebrate God's faithfulness at Christmas that he has come to do on our behalf what we could never do. And just as in the ninth century BC, God's people were crying out, God help us. There are enemies knocking at our door that we can do nothing about. We are powerless. We cannot defeat them. God help us. God says, I will. I'll send a son. And you and I find ourselves in the same place in life. Maybe not physical threats. Maybe there's not an army waiting outside for us. But there are mountains and obstacles in our life that we cannot overcome by our own strength. There's no amount of type A personality, pull yourself up by your bootstraps that are going to solve the deepest, darkest problems that we all face when the lights go out and we lay in bed at night. And we cry out to God, God, help us. And God says, I I will and I have and I've sent a son. I want to close with Isaiah chapter 12. This is how what we call the book of Emmanuel in the book of Isaiah, closes with this cry of thanksgiving and victory. And I think it represents what we celebrate even today. Isaiah 12, starting in verse 1. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy. O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to come and to worship you today. And just as Isaiah declared almost 3,000 years ago that you are great, that you are worthy of thanksgiving and praise, because you have not forgotten your people, you have not forgotten your promises. And whatever battles we face, whatever obstacles we face in life, we cry out to you and trust you for deliverance. And we cry out to you in the name of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And this Christmas season, we worship you for doing what we could never do, for rescuing us from a threat we could 
never hope to have victory over on our own. Celebrate what you've done. I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes closed for just a moment. And what we're doing now is what we do every week as we enter into a time of response, an opportunity for you to just think about what we've talked about and the scriptures that we've read and the ways in which the Lord is speaking to your heart this morning. And I don't know where you are. Roselle mentioned it earlier when he was up here talking that for some, I mean, Christmas is just full of so much joy and excitement and celebration. And for others, Christmas is, is painful. Because maybe someone is not here to celebrate this year. Maybe there's uncertainty about your ability or someone you love and their ability to celebrate it next year. Maybe 2018 has not turned out to be the year that you needed it to be. And maybe you come in here with a heavy, heavy burden on your shoulders. Jesus said, take that. Cast your burden on me. God has come. Emmanuel, God with us, has come. The Son has been born to come and to bring victory and deliverance in your life. No matter what burdens you may bear or carry, no matter what threats may be there in your life today. But the New Testament, the Bible is very clear that the burden is not lifted for everyone. The burden is lifted for those who believe and place their faith and trust in Jesus and give him their lives. If they will say, I, Jesus, I will put you on the throne of my life. Just as it talked about that this son, this Emmanuel would come and sit on, a, on an eternal throne, on a throne that would have no end, that his kingdom would have no end. You and I are called not to just believe historical facts about Jesus, but to place our life and our trust in him to the point that we would make him our king. Will you put Jesus on the throne of your life? And as your king, he will fight for you. As your king, he takes those burdens from you. If you've never done that, this is an opportunity for you to do that right now. And if you sit here this morning saying, I've done that, then this is your opportunity to celebrate, to celebrate God's goodness, to celebrate that we serve a God who keeps his promises, who has been faithful to come to his people, to deliver them, to pour out his blessings. Now you and I have a responsibility. We have the responsibility to give thanks and to praise God and responsibility to pass those blessings on to others. Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity. Would you continue to move and to speak in this place in this time?